joining us today on the Book Talk segment of the show. Great to welcome a man who's written a really interesting book, uh, particularly in the financial world, about a man who uh, kind of came up with a lot of the investment advice that uh, a lot of people have followed over the years. It's called The Einstein of Money, The Life and Timeless Financial Wisdom of Benjamin Graham. We're joined by Joe Carlin today from out in uh, the beautiful city of San Diego. And uh, Joe, thanks for joining us. How are you today? Oh, thanks for having me on. Good to have a chance to uh, talk with you, an opportunity to read uh, through the book. I know it's been out a, a few months, but uh, I think you've kind of uh, brought a story to people. I didn't know a lot about Benjamin Graham, uh, but here's a guy, I guess, uh, like you said, the Einstein of money. He was one of the first to kind of write down uh, and, and come up with investment uh, strategies, right? That's right. He was, he was the first, uh, at least the first person to, to codify a system that... Uh, was not based on technical analysis, not based on just where the chart is going or where you think the market might hit tomorrow or anything like that. Instead, it was based on the idea that you you arrive at what's called an intrinsic value, and then you compare that to the market price. And if the market price is uh, below that, then you can purchase with what's called a margin of safety. So the, the fundamental idea was that he did not take the market price at face value, and of course, that the same approach as his most famous uh, student, uh, Warren Buffett, takes. Right, yeah. So many people uh, invest on emotion, and you talk a lot about that in the book, but uh, value investing, I guess, is that the term that uh, that, that you that, use for that, for, for what he did? That's correct, and, and Graham's considered to, uh, the, the father of value investing. How did you get uh, interested in, in, in this uh, subject to, to do a kind of an in-depth study on? I know you use a lot of uh, Benjamin Graham's. I guess you had a lot of uh, you know notes of his own memoirs that you were able to access, right? Yeah, his his uh, memoirs were not released until '96, and the only other biography written about him was written in '94. <laughs> so when I realized that, I thought that it could be a good time to. Uh, to, to do a, a biography of him, especially given the fact that uh, you know many of the people that work with him and live with him were, were getting getting older, so I think it was the right time to interview those people. Yeah, I know you talked to one man, uh, was he 106 that, that was still around that knew him? Is that, is that right? One of his colleagues? Uh, yeah, oh yeah, Irving Kahn. Irving, right. Yeah, right. I knew you, there was somebody that was 106 years old when you talked to him, and he, and he had worked with Benjamin Graham, right? That's correct. He uh, he assisted him uh, with his course, and uh, they were friends for for a number of decades. In fact, uh, Mr. Khan was actually his first day on the market in Wall Street was before the '29 crash. That's how long he's been yeah. on Wall Street. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was wondering, did he give any indication of what that day was really like? <laughs> I didn't. I didn't actually get to ask him asking him about that. But yeah, that would be that would be great. Uh, Conversation to have, yeah. That's, that's a movie right there, I guess. That those couple of days leading up to it, and what happened after. That, that, that that's uh, you know a, a terrible story in a sense, but I mean it'd be fascinating to know what what exactly happened. And Benjamin Graham, I mean he was an investor during that time, right? I mean he was on Wall Street. Wasn't he a bond salesman to start? That's right. He, he, he his first position on Wall Street was as a bond salesman, and he soon discovered that he just was not. Uh, well suited to that. I mean, he was not sort of your gregarious, uh, back-slapping uh, uh, salesman. So he actually offered to quit, and his employer said, you know, why don't, he, he said, look, I'm just better suited to analytical work. And he says, fine, so why don't you do analytical work? And, and then 
from that point on, he actually became the first security analyst, which is now known as a financial analyst. Was he considered uh, at that time, uh, his thoughts, you know, once he kind of developed uh, his style of investing, was that considered radical back then? Or uh, I guess it must have been because uh, we know about it today. You know, it, can, it was different from what was going on then, right? Yeah, it was certainly different. I, I think a good illustration of that is uh, Buffett had, uh, by 49, when, when 1949, when Buffett was around 19, 18 or 19, and he had... Uh, uh, read Graham's, he just uh, started reading Graham's book, The Intelligent Investor. Before then, he had read every book about investing in the Omaha Public Library and most of the books on investing in the Library of Congress. Anyway, when he read Graham's book, he said it was the first book that made clear sense to him from start to finish. So in other words, he had read all the other books, and this was, he, he realized this was something new. And this was something that, uh, an approach that actually had a, a long-term View and uh, was really based on on fundamentals that could last uh, regardless of the market cycle. It is interesting when when you think about it. You you would think it's almost common sense, you know, pick a company that uh, you know makes a good product and uh, has made uh, you know decent profits and got good management. But but that wasn't always the case, was it? People tend to invest on either they get a hot tip or emotion, right? Yeah, and it's interesting because the, the wild swings in the market, a lot of that actually started around the time when Graham started working on Wall Street because it was in the, well, actually Graham started working on Wall Street before World War One, but it was after World War One when the market really opened up to the retail investor, like the mom and pop investor. It was after then that the market really went wild because people who were not business people were more uh, vulnerable to sort of the, the, the height pitch. And so then you get the, the phenomenon of like what happened in the Tronics boom in the early 60s, or of course the dot-com boom, where there's just you know, a company that sounds <laughs> exciting, but actually has no earnings and nothing on the balance sheet, but the stock is going through the roof because people are buying it up because it's being promoted. So that's the same kind of thing that Graham saw a lot of that in the 20s, and he noticed how, how dangerous that was. Yeah, I wonder what he would have thought uh, with the whole dot-com situation. Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, a lot of people didn't make money on that. What was that? He wouldn't. He wouldn't have been. He would not have been surprised at all because he saw that the market just goes through what he calls periods of excess greed and excess fear, mm. and uh, he would have just seen it as another cycle. I think. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people did make a lot of money on it, but uh, a lot of it was well, e it empty money, right? right? Time. Yeah, you had yeah. to get in at the right time, and it went against. It goes against his uh, whole theory of uh, you know having a value beforehand. There really was no value at the time. It was potential value. Right? .com. That's right. And, and people like Buffett actually in the long run did much better during that time than the typical, than most of the people that tried to ride the wave. Because unless, you know, you were, you know, you had the crystal ball or something, you didn't know when that wave was going to crash. So if you wrote it out and said, okay, it's going higher, it's going higher, and then boom, all the dot coms, you know, in 2000, they lost around 70% of their value. So unless you got out in 99, uh, you really got, you, you lost, really. And that, the net result of that whole wild ride is that you, you lost all of your money. Whereas while everyone was else was buying dot-com stocks, Buffett was buying up boring stocks like Coca-Cola and <laughs> uh, you know, other blue-chip companies that people were ignoring at the time, right? And they were selling at a good price. And in the long run, he did much better. Yeah, and just kind of reading his numbers over the years, of course, you know, the whole Warren Buffett... Uh uh, fund that people can invest in has done so well, and he was a disciple of 
Benjamin Graham. He also talked uh, a little bit uh, about Benjamin Graham's life story. Very interesting how uh, he lived in New York City, and uh, you know he, he had an interesting personal life, didn't he? Yeah, he had a very unconventional personal life, especially for that time, being married three times, and of course, in his life, living with a fourth woman who was not uh, his wife. Uh, yeah, I mean, he, he was very unconventional. Uh, you know, he was an agnostic. He was, um, he would, for him, like, uh, an evening of leisure would be uh, translating Greek poetry to Latin. Right? <laughs> I mean, he was just a very unusual person, and and that's reflected in his investment uh, philosophy. Yeah, yeah, he seemed like a you know he had his own march to the own his own drummer, as they say. But he he was uh, dedicated to uh, his his craft, wasn't he? I mean, and he he enjoyed uh, the aspect of you know researching and doing all that type of thing. I guess without computers back then, you really had to just do a lot more reading and and, and studying than you do now, right? Yeah, in a way, it's it's actually easier to apply his approach uh, now. But the, the the fundamentals are still are still uh, you know still apply. And in fact, there's a there's a portion of the book which discusses how to how to apply his principles and you know using today's technology. Yeah, the whole day trading thing. I guess he'd probably be spinning in the grave if he knew that was going on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, basically any form of. Uh, purchase that wasn't based on this idea that, okay, I've done an analysis of this company and it's currently being uh, underpriced by the market, any other form of purchase, he basically saw, saw it as, as speculation. Mm. And he says in the long run, with speculation, you're, you're, you're likely to lose. The whole day trading thing is, is basically gambling for a lot of people. I mean, if you did, you know, by minute to minute trading, so it, it goes against the whole value investing thing. But uh, but it's a fascinating, Definitely. fascinating uh, story, fascinating guy called uh, Benjamin Graham. The name of the book, The Einstein of Money. Uh, we've been talking with Joe Carl and Joe. Uh, I know the book's done very well, but uh, give out a website. People can get a hold of it now and get a hold of you if they like. Sure, EinsteinofMoney.com. Yeah, that's easy enough. And you got another project in the works? Uh, looking at some different ideas for another book, but uh, nothing definite yet. Nothing yet. Well, next time you have one out, we'd love to have you back on, and uh, thanks for joining us today. Great. Thanks a lot. Stan Brock. 30 years ago, I formed Remote Area Medical to help people overseas. But then we found generations of families in America isolated by poverty from the health care they need. Together, we can take dental, vision, and medical help to a million adults and their kids right here at home in the United States of America.